scripture reading this evening is from Philippians 3, 7 But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what's ahead. This is the word of God. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through the book of Philippians, and you may have noticed I have skipped ahead a bit, and there's a reason for that I'll get to towards the end, um, but part of the, the message tonight is actually going to just be on the end of what I read to you this evening, and, and I had to read the first part because in order to understand the second part, you had to have a little bit of that context. But I begin just by asking a question and, and thinking about the answer to this question. Um, when you think about following Jesus in your life, would you say that that is an easy task or a hard task? I would argue that it's hard, at least in my experience. It's not a walk in the park. Um, sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I get worn out or I'm out of energy or I feel discouraged or I want to give up. Um, do you ever feel like maybe you get off, off track or unfocused and it seems like everything else is vying for your attention when you know you are called to something greater? If you feel that at all, the good news is you're not alone. The Apostle Paul feels that, talks very clearly and specifically about this. And in this moment, in this letter, he's dreaming forward to the horizon, to the climax of human history, to the day when King Jesus breaks back into the earth. This is a day in the future, a day when we step into a brand new body for those who are in Christ, into a brand new world, a new universe, the resurrection of the dead. Then Paul says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all of this or have arrived at my goal, okay, which translation means I'm not there yet. Right? I, I'm not there yet. I'm on this journey. I'm, I'm somewhere in this story, but I have not yet arrived. There's a word used here uh, in the Greek called lambono, which means it's kind of a, an interesting word when you, when you look at what it means. In, in, in English, it's kind of like um, to grasp after, to chase down and catch. Oftentimes, the word is used when talking about a predator and prey, right? where they chase down their prey and they grab what it is that they are chasing after. And this is the word that Paul uses here, something he's chasing after. He's not quite grasped it, but he's going after it relentlessly. And he goes on to say, I've not yet um, already arrived at my goal. The word arrived is teleos in the Greek, 
which means it's an end goal. It's what we're all moving to. And he says, I'm not quite there yet. I'm moving towards it, but I have not yet arrived. But I'm on the way. And I press on to take hold for which King Jesus took hold of me. So this is, this is it. This is what Paul's laying out for us. He's saying, um, you and I, we chase after God. We grasp after God. But that's not God's only calling on our life. Right? Because God actually chased after you first. He was born as Jesus of Nazareth. He comes in as a rabbi, as a prophet, as the Messiah of Israel. And he all builds up to the cross where he is bleeding for the sin of the world on the cross for you and for I. And this was God's way of coming to the world to put on flesh, to live the life, the perfect life, die on a cross, and eventually come back to life in the resurrection. You see, God made the first move, in a sense. He chased us. That word that Paul uses, the grasp after us, he did it first. He saved us. He rescued us first. And what Paul's trying to communicate is, look, our response to that, to that first move, is that we would, in step, chase after him as well. Because God has chased after us, we too are to chase after him. Now, chasing after God, this is not an earning of God's love. God's love is freely given. We are fully known, yet fully loved. That is not earned by any way, shape, or form. But it is given. And so it is out of a response, an overwhelming response to that love that we then chase after God. Then he goes on to say, brothers and sisters, but I'm not there yet. I'm not to the end I'm not at the beginning, okay, but I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm on this journey. In the past, I gave up everything to follow Jesus. I did a 180 on my life, and everything changed. I was baptized into Jesus, but I'm not there yet. I'm not to the end. And he goes on to say, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. I'm not there, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And the rest of the verse goes on to say, I press on towards the goal to win the prize to the upward call of God and King Jesus. Now, this is a metaphor that Paul's using. Paul uses a lot of these metaphors, um, and, and oftentimes they're related to sports, right? So in this, in this case, he's using metaphors that would have been known to the, the church in Philippi because um, in Philippi there was a stadium, and there were these sort of Greco-Roman Olympic games that they would have. And there's also a stadium in Rome. We think Paul is probably in prison in Rome at the time when he wrote this letter. And in Paul's day, the way the races would work is it's not like today's day where you'd run around a big circle. Typically, it was from one stadium, side of the stadium to the other side. It was the first person to make it to the other side won the foot race. And when you'd win the race, you'd be, you'd be there. You'd receive your prize in front of a, what was that? Give me off. Tens of thousands of people, and it would be this awesome, exciting um, moment, probably something that a, a trained athlete was looking towards their entire life. And Paul says, you know what following Jesus is like? It's like, it's like getting to the end. Once you get to the end, it's this incredible moment of finishing a race. Now, there's three uh, moving parts here, and we're going to look at these three parts. The first is, Paul says, forget what is behind. I don't live in the past. I don't carry around baggage from a year ago, 20 years ago, six months ago, right? He says, um, 
I, I leave that stuff in the past, which if you know Paul's history, that's probably a good thing. Okay? He did some shady stuff in his life. But he's able to say, no, I, I've forgotten what is behind me. You know, when you watch a race, okay, today you watch the Olympics. I love the Olympics. It's awesome. Um, notice that they, they wear very little clothing and very tight clothing intentionally. Why? Because if you wear baggy clothing, if you wear things that are going to slow you down because of the drag and the wind, right, that's going to be a problem. And so there's a, there's a reason why you're trying to be as streamlined as possible. You don't see a runners carrying a backpack or being tied to a U-Haul or a parachute. Right? They're trying to go as fast as they can. I remember being on a or, uh, backpacking trip with my brothers and we thought it would be funny to play a prank on one of the brothers. And so every so often, we would put a rock in his backpack. Okay? And if you imagine, like, after backpacking, we had done two peaks in Maroon Bells. If you ever uh, backpacked in Maroon Bells or anywhere in Colorado, like, you know, it's not easy to go over a pass. It's like 12,000 feet. It's a lot. And so as we're going uphill, we are just sneaking rocks into his backpack slowly without him seeing and over time, you could just see the strain and like the physical exertion as his backpack was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. We did not, we held on as long as we could. It's when he started to actually complain of like, guys, I think I might need to take a break. Like, I just can't, this, is, this backpack just feels so heavy. My shoulders are hurting. We just lost it at one point. I just started laughing and told him what happened. And he was mad for a second. But um, what is this? When we carry things in our life, when we hold on to things in our past, when they continue to haunt us and continue to, to, to sort of slip up into our lives, man, it slows us down. It brings us to a point of exhaustion. And so the implications here for the Philippians is Paul is saying, for you, for your community, forget what has happened in the past. For Wichita people, people who are here and now attending this service, forget what has happened in the past. It's time to move on. What, what, what exactly am I talking about? Um, I think, I think we, what Paul's calling us to forget are things like guilt and shame, regrets from our past, skeletons in our closet that haunt us, mistakes that we've made. Those things we carry with us in our life, almost like weights on our shoulders. And Paul says, this is no way to live. Maybe it's sins that, that you've committed, whether it was infidelity, whether it was, whatever, whatever, whether it was an angry outburst in your life, or maybe you hurt someone, um, you lied to someone, or maybe it's sins that have been done to you, whether it's abuse, betrayal, divorce, hurt. And it's hard to let go of the shame, of the anger, the bitterness, the brokenness. And Paul says, listen, you got to let go you got to let go. You are now in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, when he sees you, he does not see your junk and your baggage, but he sees Jesus Christ himself who has taken the place for your mistakes. He sees you washed clean. That's why when we do baptism, the, the symbol of, a, of water washing someone clean, he sees you clean and spotless a clean slate, and the past simply becomes the past. One of my favorite things about the gospel of Jesus is that at the end of the day, the real you is not your mistakes and your, and your, your shortcomings, 
but the real you is that of you washed clean in Christ. So when you stand in Christ, that's you. And so what do we do? We, we confess our sins. We come clean. We, we do business with God and our family and our friends, and we repent and confess. And then we let go and we move on. Because that's not who you are anymore. And for the people who've sinned against you, this is difficult, but it's also true. Um, when Jesus says, uh, if you do not forgive, then neither I will forgive you, um, this is a really hard truth for us to wrestle with. But here's the thing. We have been forgiven. We have been washed clean. The punishment for your sins has been taken on Christ himself. And because of that great weight, when we get that, when we understand the weight of it, it should free us to be able to forgive others, even if they don't deserve it. And that's one of the hardest realities of forgiveness, is sometimes we choose to forgive someone who does not deserve it. I think for a lot of us, when we live with resentment in our life or bitterness towards someone, it's like we're driving down the road while looking in the rearview mirror. Right? You're headed for disaster. That's not a good way to live. The things, the anger, the hurts, the resentment, the bitterness, when those things live inside of us, I once heard um, it said that resentment and hanging on to resentment is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. At the end of the day, when we sort of bring those things back into our mind again and again, the only person who's really suffering is ourselves. Now, this is a lot easier said than done. In fact, this is actually really hard. This is why I said following Jesus is not easy. It's not a walk in the park. It, it actually demands a lot from us to be willing to forgive people who don't deserve it. But our minds are not like desktop on your computer. Like you can't just drag memories and put them in the trash and then empty the trash. Right? I wish it was that easy. We don't actually forget. Right? So when Paul says to forget the past, like it's really difficult because we can't actually forget things. You guys ever seen the movie Men in Black? They've got those little like flashy things that like wipe your memory clean. It's not like that, right? We can't just totally wipe our memories clean. We have to re reckon with the fact that we will never forget certain things. Scholar writes, forgetting is not a passive loss of memory, but it's an active, continuous discipline of the mind and the heart. I'll say that again. Um, forgetting is not a passive loss of memory, but it is an active and continuous discipline of the mind and the heart. You see, Paul didn't actually forget his past. He, he knows far, far well where he came from. And I think for us, we can learn quite a bit from our past. We can learn things about ourselves, about others. And the truth is, there are things that we will never forget. But what happens um, is when those things in our past sort of run our life, when they haunt us, when they creep up into our mind, and they sort of drive us and our behavior, that's when it becomes a problem. Paul emphatically says, disregard it, reject it. He openly declared a non-observance of the past, right? It's gone, it's done. And so forgetting is a continuous discipline of our minds and our hearts. And I know thoughts come into our minds probably all the time of guilt, shame, baggage, anger, hate, resentment, maybe of a past relationship or a past 
encounter we have with someone where we just can't seem to let things go or, or not tell that story to someone else because somehow it's almost easier to live in that anger. And Paul's saying, we can't live like this. We've got to let it go. So Paul gives us, calls us to forget our past. Now, there's just a few questions I want us to wrestle with tonight. The first question is this. As you're thinking about um, what this means for you, the question is really simple. The question is, what is it in your past that you need to forget? What is the thing that comes to mind when I'm speaking about this, when we read this passage, that you're like, man, I just can't seem to let go of this one thing. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's resentment towards someone. Maybe it's shame from something that has happened to you. Maybe it's something you've done that you can't seem to forgive yourself over. Whatever it might be, what is that thing that you need to forget? Or maybe put it a better way, what is the thing that you need to let go of? The thing that you hold on to that you can't seem to let go? Maybe you think about it like a book. Right? You're, if you're writing a book on your life and you get to this one chapter and for some reason you get stuck in this loop on this chapter over and over and over again and it's time to shut that chapter and write a new one. What is the title of that chapter? What do we need to forget? So in order to run with the metaphor that Paul's using, we need to first forget the past, forget what is behind. And then second, Paul goes on to what? It says, straining towards what's ahead. Now this word straining, I'm going to butcher it, but it's, it's the Greek word epiktino, which means you exert your body to the point of collapse. It's like pushing yourself to failure. Every mu- muscle in your body to the point of exhaustion, to the limit. Um, if you've run a race, whether it's a marathon or a 5K or you've walked around the block or, you know, whatever, um, you may know what runners call the wall, okay, hitting the wall. It's that point in a long race where you get to, for me, it was always like mile 17 where, like, you're kind of close to the end, but you still got a lot of race to run. And there's this point where your body tells you, stop, you can't do this anymore. And you have to somehow convince your body to push through that wall. And if you're able to do that, usually your body can find it enough energy to sort of finish the race. I remember um, marathon training back in the day. And I, I don't have a runner's body at all. Even when I was like, you know, in good shape back in the day. I mean, I have, I have giant Swedish thighs. I like, you could hear the ground as I run. Um, but I always loved running, and I think part of why I actually wasn't a bad runner was not because I was built like a runner, but because uh, I had a strong mental game. I had a mental edge. I was able to push my body beyond what um, my body told me it should do. And uh, it's sort of this mental game where you say to yourself, my body is weak, but my brain is stronger. My brain can somehow allow my body to push itself beyond where it should be able to push. So Paul's, this is what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm straining every muscle in my body to the limit, to the max, to the point of exhaustion. I'm pushing forward to the goal, which makes a lot of sense when you think about the opposition Paul's faced. He's in prison at the moment. He's experienced a ton of opposition along the way. He's saying, I'm not giving up going to the finish line. I'm going to focus what's right in front of me. I'm going to show a quick video here in a second. Um, And this video is from the 2012 Olympics, okay? Um, 
uh, it's a really, really amazing race. It's the 400-meter dash. And the guy who won it, his last, it's uh, Kirani James. And uh, he's, a, he's from Granada, which is like a little island in the Caribbean, I think. I um, don't really know where it is. But uh, what I want you to watch when you watch the video is there's something else in running called a kick. Have you ever heard of a kick? Essentially, um, it's where you, you it get to the end of the race and you, have, you take all of your reserves, every last bit of energy you have for the final sprint towards the end. And for those who ran track, often those who ran the 400 or the 800, those are the best races to watch because there's always that kick at the end of the race. And uh, he has one of the greatest kicks of all time. So let's watch this quick video and uh, be inspired. go past the video. I don't know if there's any more there. So what's cool about this is he wasn't supposed to win. Um, and I think people were very surprised when he, he really went all out in that race. And it, you can kind of see it. Like he's, he's got that final turn. He starts to kick. And then all of a sudden, it's like he's on fire. Like he's just making a ton of space for himself. And if you looked up the close-up at the very beginning, I don't know if you noticed it, but that's when he was in the lead during the race. And if you look, every muscle in his body is straining. You can see his veins in his face. You can see he is so laser-focused on the finish line. There is nothing that was going to get in the way of him finishing that race. And he not once looks to the left or to the right. You'll notice oftentimes runners, when they're getting towards the end, they will, they will look to see if anyone is coming up behind them. But he is so laser-focused on finishing the race, he continues to keep his eyes straight. Paul says, look, listen, this is how you are to live focused with your eyes. That's how you are to run this race, focused, laser-focused ahead 
towards the goal. This is how we're to live. We're to run with purpose and intentionality and focus. And, and it's, it's this idea that we wake up tomorrow morning um, the same exact way we wake up every morning, but we live instead of just sort of rolling out of bed, we live with a focus knowing that there is a greater goal and that we're striving towards that. I know for a lot of people, and for seasons of my life, I would say I've been in this space where we, we sort of live allowing life to happen to us, almost as if we're just reacting to anything that comes along our way. There's no actual focus or goal or purpose or intention. It's all sort of a reaction to what's happening around us. But Paul's calling us to something different. He's calling us to focus on God's calling for our life. And a few verses later, it talks about this very specifically. He references God's call on your life. And whatever it is, whatever God calls you to, we are to run with absolute focus, not veering to the left or to the right or looking who's behind us, but moving towards the goal. I love that story where um, Peter is with Jesus and Jesus tells Peter that he's going to die. It's like really bad news. Like if someone told you you're going to die, like they're going to die, like that's really hard. And, uh, and John's like, wait, what, me? Like I'm going to die a martyr's death? Well, well, what about John? Like I know he's your favorite and he's the one you love and all that. Um, where's, the, where's the love on that? And Jesus is like, Peter, what is that to you? And then he doesn't actually answer his question, which I love it when Jesus keeps people hanging it's kind of just this mic drop moment. I think for us, there will always be a John in our life, right? Peter, Peter looks to someone else whom Jesus loves, and he says, why, why does he get different treatment? And for us, I think we will always have people in our life who we will look to, we will compare ourselves to, we will say, why am I not at this place in my life when my friend or the so-and-so is there? And I think that can be a real, real distraction, I wonder if Jesus would say to us, what is that to you? Follow me, stay focused, get your eyes off of other people, and follow me. So the last question I'll ask you tonight is this, what are those distractions in your life? Maybe it's people, maybe it's um, hobbies, maybe whatever it might be. What are the things that get you distracted from the main prize. We'll get you off track. Because Paul goes on then to say, I press on towards the goal to win the prize, and he is in it to win it. He wants to win the prize. This, is, this feeds in great to our hyper-competitiveness in our culture, right? Um, sports is sort of like a god in American culture. Uh, it's, it's something that many people worship, and so we can understand this metaphor very well. Paul wants to win this prize. Now, Paul says, um, in the NIV, which is what I read earlier, that God has called me heavenward in King, yeah, heavenward in King Jesus. And bless the NIV, it's a, it's a good translation, but sometimes it gets it wrong. And this is one of those moments where I think the NIV doesn't quite capture uh, what Paul's after. Um, another translation says this, and I think it's a better one. It says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize of the upward call of God in King Jesus. I think that's a much better translation. The upward call of God in King Jesus. See, this imagery, again, is of the games, okay? So you're running in this straight line. Imagine being in the stadium, running in a straight line. And uh, 
there's a goal, right? Once you get to this goal, this finish line, you would walk up the steps of the stadium to the top where the judge was, and the judge would then, um, whether it was the king at the time or the emperor or Caesar or whoever it was, would say to the crowd in terms of tens and thousands of people and spectators, would say your name, your father's name, would say the name of, of your country, and then they would place a prize or wreath on your head, and all the people in the stadium would just absolutely go nuts for you. It would be this incredible, incredible moment. This is what Paul is sort of alluding to when he's writing to the Philippians. Like you are running this race. You are trying to get to the place to where you win the race. And he's trying to not only encourage them, but he's like giving them a pep talk. It's like a coach trying to rally their team to finish strong. Paul's saying, I want to finish my race in, in a minute to win it because I know that there is a future resurrection and until we get there, we're not going to stop. Now, this is a metaphor, okay? Paul uses a lot of metaphors in his teaching, and metaphors, you know, can only go to a certain extent. Um, sometimes we can overdo it. But this theme is actually all throughout the New Testament. Um, Jesus tells this story. Um, this theme is, there's, there's a, basically what, what there is, is there's a continuity between how we live now and how we will live in eternity, Okay? This is the idea that I think Paul's trying to present. Um, and there's a story that Jesus tells, and maybe you're familiar with it. He tells a story about a master with, with um, these servants. And in the story, he says to the servants, hey, I'm going away on a journey for a very long time. I have a bunch of money. They're called uh, minas. And the time was the sum of money, which is a large chunk of money in the first century. I have 10 of them. And he gave one mina to each of the ten servants, and then they all go away. And he tells the story about how three of them returned. After a year goes by or so, they come back, and the first um, goes to the, the master and says, hey, great to see you. Hope, hope you've been well. Um, I want you to know that I've, I've made ten times um, what you gave me. I, was a, I invested it in all kinds of great investments. Um, I made sure to work really hard to make sure that my money wasn't just sitting around, and, and the master that in the story goes, oh, that's, that's amazing. You know, because you did that, I'm going to give you uh, the reign and rule over 10 of my future cities. And then another comes. And, you know, wasn't as, quite as enthusiastic. Um, he was happy to see the master. Um, but he's not Mr. Entrepreneur. He didn't quite get 10 times the amount from his money. But you know what? I tried. I did my best. I invested it in crypto and other things, and you know, I made quite a bit, and I made five times what you gave me to start. And the master said, you know, you did your best. You tried, um, and, I, and I'm proud of you for giving it your best effort, so thank you for doing that. I will give you five of my future cities to look over. And then the last came back. And I'm guessing he was late, Probably his hair disheveled and greasy and Cheeto stains on his shirt, staying up playing video games all night, and kind of walks in. None of this is actually in the Bible. I'm just throwing it out there. But he walks in, and uh, you know, he, he's like, you know, I, I'm, I still have the money you gave me. I was responsible. I dug a hole. I buried it. I wanted to make sure you, know, you got your money back. And the response was not great from the master, if you know the story. The master says, what's wrong with you? Don't you know me? That's not what this money was for. 
And he takes away the money from the servant and he gives it to the one who had made 10 times as much. Now, you may think of that story that Jesus tells and think, that's kind of unfair. Like, why, why, did, why was he treated so differently than the others? And, and why, why, why is that the way that this, what's this trying to illustrate or communicate? And that's kind of the point. The, kind of, the point is that it's, it's not fair. Um, the point is, it's not actually a story about money. Okay? This isn't actually a lesson in investing. Well, it kind of is, but it's, it's more than that. right? When you're telling a parable, there's, there's often more at stake. What Jesus is trying to express is that how you live your life now is going to matter for eternity. The call that God has put on your life is very, very serious. And you have a chance at something. And one day you're going to stand in front of the judge and the master, and he's going to say, tell me, what did you do with your life? And Jesus is giving a warning. He's saying, don't waste your life. You only got one. It's not long. It goes like this. Don't waste it. So Paul is, is making this point, too. He's saying, are you in it to win it? What's on your lap? What has been given to you? Is it, a, is it a, a family, a child, a relationship, a job, a calling? What has God put in your lap, and what are you going to do with it? Are you running to win the race? I think the race for us means that we wake up tomorrow morning, we put on our, our running shoes, we take a, a drink of water, and we simply go out and we run. Meaning, um, where in our life do we need to mature? Like, where do we need to spiritually mature in our life? Where are we in spaces where we're not quite where we know we should be? The places we know God has called us to even deeper relationship and deeper uh, relationship with him. Every day is a step forward towards that spiritual maturity. Now look, Paul calls us uh, to forget what is behind us. He calls us to strain towards what's ahead and, and I kind of, we have a small group here tonight. I know a lot of people are out at Westminster Woods. So I'm just going to speak to you like family tonight. Um, we're in a really interesting time and season in, in our church, for our church. Uh, for those of you who saw the announcement earlier, we have staff members leaving and Joseph and Mike who are, have been here for really quite a long time. We've got one of our pastors recently left. We've had a lot of change and not only that, but we're heading towards a season, for those of you who are new tonight, um, our senior pastor is going on sabbatical in, um, in the beginning of September for four months, which is a big deal. Our church is undergoing a lot of change, and it's happening all very fast. One of the words that we've been using to sort of describe the moment that we're in is that it's a, it's a kairos moment. Okay, in the Greek, there are two words for time. There's chronos time, which is sort of, you know, when we tell the time on our watch, we can sort of say it's a day, a month, a year. Kairos time is a little bit different. It's like, a, I've heard it described as a moment pregnant with time. It's like the harvest is here. We have a very specific moment appointed by God for something crazy to happen. I believe that we are approaching a kairos moment for our community. As many of you know, and, and um, Joseph was, has been with us for a long time, and he was started this service with me, uh, among a lot of others, and Jenny, who was there from the beginning. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to be happening as, as we get closer to the sabbatical, including uh, me taking on a larger role uh, as a pastor and, and doing more things at the church um, that I hadn't been doing. 
Um, with that, we've had a lot of really hard and difficult decisions uh, about what's going to happen with this service. We made the hard decision that we're going to put this service on pause. What does that mean? Um, Thursday service has been going strong, and I'm so grateful for those of you who've been uh, attenders here. Um, but in two weeks, so July 28th, I think, is going to be our last Thursday service, at least for now. Um, for the sabbatical season, so for the next four months following that, we're going to put this, this service on pause, and we're going to pray. We're going to, re- we're going to evaluate it. We're going to talk through it, and if we sense the Lord is calling us to bring it back, man, I, I can't wait for what that will look like. But for a time, uh, we're not going to gather on Thursdays like we have been. And I know that's probably hard news for some, especially those who have been with us for, for the whole time we've been doing this. It's been really an amazing journey. Um, is it the end of the service? I can't answer that question. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what 2023 will bring, but I do know that for now we're going we're gonna to put it on pause. So um, I'm sorry if that's hard news for you or if you're attending for the first time, you're kind of coming into a weird moment, but uh, is what it is. We're glad you're here. We have two more weeks. Come back. Um, I also encourage you too, like, uh, I'm going to be preaching a lot this fall, and I would love if you would come to our Sunday services. We have three services. That's awesome. They're all different, 8 a.m., 9, 30, and 11, so I'd encourage you to join us uh, for those. Um, but yeah, this is kind of the space that we're in. And I leave you with that one because I, I wanted to tell you and not just, you know, not show up one Thursday, but also I think... I think there's a call for us as individuals, right, to forget what has happened in the past, to put the past behind us. I think that that's a daily discipline to to not drive while looking in the rearview mirror, but to practice the hard work of daily forgetting and putting to rest what has happened. But also for us to strain towards maturity in Christ, to keep our eyes laser-focused not being distracted by things that are holding us back. But also for a community. As this community has continued to uh, meet and gather for, we gathered for like a year, I think, and then COVID hit and we disappeared for a while and then we came back for another year and um, it's been a really amazing, amazing journey. I think for us, I actually believe that God is doing something new. And sometimes you have to sort of let go of what God has, not of what God has, remember what God has done, but sort of let go and and sort of move towards what new thing God is doing. And I want to leave you with a verse, Isaiah 43, 18. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. The prophet Isaiah, we hear from the Lord, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I'm going to read that one more time. The Lord says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I believe that God is doing new things. And I think in order for us to see the new ways that God is making streams in the wasteland, to see the new things, like that question is asked there, do you not perceive it? I think in order for us to perceive it, we have to not dwell 
on, on the past and what has been done, but look towards what new God is doing. And I think the best is yet to come. I really believe that. So I leave you with that, that as a community, um, I can't wait for the next two weeks. We're going to go hard. We're going to party, and we'll, we'll celebrate on the 28th with pizza and everything. Um, but I think um, as we sort of get there, um, let us look forward to what God has for us, because I think it's going to be quite amazing. Let's pray. Father, we pray and thank you for all the incredible things you've done um, in this service and in this community and in our lives. We, we're just so grateful that you're a God who wipes the slate clean and gives us a second, third, fourth, fifth chance when we continue to fall short. We thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your mercy, for the gospel, that we can have hope even though um, we don't always deserve it. And in that, Lord, may we learn how to forgive others when they hurt us, when they wrong us, that we would not hang on to that resentment, but learn how to let it go. And in that, Lord, you're doing a healing work in us. And as a community, as we look towards the future, as we look forward to what's coming, Lord, I pray that you would give us a new spark of hope, that you would clear our eyes so that we can see the new things that you are doing in our community, in the community around us, and that we would be able to have your eyes and see what you see. Lord, we pray all these things for your beautiful name. Amen.